0: Hey everybody, what's up? This is Jack Miller with the Twice a Week Podcast. I just wanted to kind of add or redo the original intro we had to this episode, given that it was Memorial Day. Um, I don't think we accurately gave reverence to how important this holiday really is, and it's it shouldn't even be referred to as a holiday. Uh, it's more so a day of remembrance and honor for all those who have given their life in service to our country. And I know it's important for me. Uh, I have a lot of service members in my family, um, past and present. Um, And Nick has a few as well. Um, So I think it's safe to say I'm speaking for both of us in this. Um, Memorial Day is really important. And It highlights a feat that is overlooked too often in everyday American life, I think. Um, We here who wake up and go to sleep every day under the blanket of freedom that this country and the people who have fought and served this country have provided for us have a hard time fathoming what it means to actually lay down their own life for the service of something they believe to be greater than themselves. And it is the greatest form of love to lay down your life for somebody else, or in this case, um, millions of somebody else's. And I would encourage everybody to um, keep the following in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, I know that phrase gets used uh, all too often these days, and the meaning of it seems to have been lost, but it is important nonetheless. And if you have a member of service in your family or you see one on the street, just tell them thank you and um and take a moment to put yourself in the shoes of somebody you know maybe fifteen hundred miles away, or five thousand miles away in the middle east or or someone um, in the past who has uh, fought and died in in a previous war, and maybe just say thank you to whomever or whatever you believe in um, and understand that the incredible and improbable civilization that we live in being the United States and more broadly the free Western civilization as a whole would not have been possible if not for the courageous sacrifice of American patriots and um, and I think I'll leave you there and uh, so enjoy what I think was a pretty good discussion on uh, climate change coming from two people who probably represent 80% of how most people feel about it one way or the other and uh, hopefully you got something out of it just like Nick and I got something out of it and um, have a good rest of your week and we shall talk to you Hopefully, very soon. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Twice a Week podcast hosted by Friends Who Disagree. Um, Oh, yeah, we haven't moved to the new platform yet. No. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. We have a built in audience of 50 bots that listen to every episode, (laughs) most of them from Italy, apparently.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. I think that's what you were saying in the last episode. Or not the last episode, but one of the ones
0: that we did. Yeah, I have an inor- we have an inordinate inordinate amount of foreign viewers.
1: Maybe they Listeners. just use it to
0: like learn English. That'd be cool. Yeah. At least something positive's coming out of this.
1: I start talking uh using no adverbs.
0: <laughs> just to throw them off. <laughs> yep. Just to be mean. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There my cousin actually showed me a meme of Midwesterners Speak. It was like no yeah. Equal, oh. equal me e- equals yes. Yeah. It's I, like I, yeah, I saw no. this a couple days ago. Day ago. <laughs> yeah, it means no Yeah, no, definitely means for sure. Or yeah <laughs> no for sure means definitely. I, I actually
1: um so I'm doing a lot of work with uh our office down in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and I said that on a phone call uh with one of the guys down there. Um, and, uh, he, he asked me to do something and I go, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> he goes, what? I said, yes, no, I, I can do that for you. And he's like, yes or no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm too rooted in my,
0: my lingo. Uh, from Illinois, please forgive me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when the, uh, like positive, negative, positive started. I mean, if we're going by math, it still works, but... Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hate us. We're unique. We are. All right. Oh, happy... Happy Anemone Day. (laughs) Happy Anemone Day. (laughs) Happy Memorial Day, or I guess Remembrance Day for uh, everybody who has fallen in the line of service for our country and... Um, Keep them in your thoughts and prayers today And hopefully all days And hopefully this podcast on climate change Can be enough of an honor to them We'll see We'll see <laughs> yeah. I, I,
1: I honestly forget why we decided to do that I mean we started talking about it a, uh, a couple of days ago Just over text um, Oh I remember Because
0: we were talking about weird winters Or how we had a weird winter
1: Yeah it was genuinely very weird. I it was. I found myself asking people who are older than myself, who grew up in Chicago as well, um, saying like like I'm I've experienced a fair amount of winters here, but mm-hmm. they've experienced far more. Um, like is this as weird as I think it is or is this just normally how it goes? But I mean, we just we had so many days where it was like either 60 degrees or like negative 50 with the wind chill yeah, and they would be within like a week of each other. And even the spring we would get like snow um, one weekend and then the next weekend it'd be 80 and sunny. And then the following weekend it would snow again.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think back to all the winters I had or that we've experienced and I don't remember as many like full bore snow winters as they as the ones that weren't and i'm wondering like i we've only had a handful of white christmases i think that i've experienced and it seems like the snow always starts after january or in january um but i think uh, chicago itself or like our area of the midwest has always been kind of funky um it is kind of a weird in-between. Because we do have the lake, too, yeah. and that, I'm sure, plays a, plays a role in how our climate acquiesces to whatever it wants to do. But, yeah, it was, I think this one was the most odd. Yeah,
1: I think the, the lake really screws over the people downwind um, because everyone on the east side of the lake gets all that lake effect snow. And so, like, northwest Indiana and western Michigan is always just Screwed with the amount of snowfall they get. Yeah, but over here on the west side, the lake like actually normalizes the temperature. So like in the summer, it's warmer, and in the winter, it's um, a little. Wait, no, I got that wrong. In the summer, it's cooler by the lake, mm-hmm. and in the winter, it's a little warmer by the lake. Yeah, um, but uh, I mean, it doesn't feel like it if you're downtown though. It's still super windy. Yes, and it sucks. <laughs> Just walking through wind tunnels. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's like, uh, like it's not only windy, but like the air is so cold it hurts your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just dart from bank lobby to bank lobby, and you'll yeah. be okay. Exactly. We got to do what Minneapolis does and just build sky bridges all over the city. I
0: think that'd be really cool.
1: I'd like that, but well, there's a huge like underground network in Chicago. Yeah, I've never accessed it, but apparently they do tours and it's very pleasant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just know about the. The L, that's like half a subway, half an above ground mm-hmm. thing. Which I actually showed two members of my family around Chicago, and they were like blown away by that. They're like, that doesn't make sense. What, that it's both? <laughs> that it's like both a-, a subway and an above ground elevated train. And I'm like, well, it just depends on <laughs> where you are in the city and the elevation of the ground. You know what, it's <laughs> fine. Well, it'll be okay. I, I could
1: dive into this because I've read... Uh, I've read the Wikipedia article on uh, the L quite oh, yeah. extensively, just because I was bored one day and right because I, I like trains. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I like trains. <laughs> um, but we don't have to get into that now. Um, I, we can if you want. Great. So, <laughs> so downtown when they first built like this network, it was uh, they built the subways first. So there was the State Street Subway and the Clark Street Subway. Okay the state street subway later became what is now the red line whereas the clark became the blue line but it was just like this back and forth kind of like underground network and then mm-hmm. they're like wait there are other parts of the city that we need to connect and so like outside of that it wasn't as densely populated and down on the south side the what was called the um the alley street or the alley elevated okay um was like gaining popularity between Jackson Park and what's now like the Dan Ryan. Um, and basically it was just like they took advantage of this dead space in alleys and mm-hmm. built an elevated structure over that alley so that the alley could still be used, but then they could take advantage of all that space and build a train line there. Okay. Um, and so that kind of caught on and they were like, well, let's implement this elsewhere in the city. And so then they built the green line, which connected the south side to the loop and then later the west side. And that goes all the way out to Oak Park, which is where I live.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's very helpful. We rode the red line from, I think, the North Shore to Wrigley.
1: Oh, did you take it or all the way mag, down?
0: The Mag Mile to Wrigley Field. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's awesome.
1: I love the L Network.
0: Mm-hmm. Better than taking a
1: cab, for sure. A lot cheaper, too. I think so. I didn't pay for my ticket. <laughs> Two seventy five. dollars
0: Oh, that's not bad,
1: no matter where you go yeah oh. and then if you if you transfer within like a two hour period of buying that initial ticket, mm-hmm. I think it's only like fifty cents.
0: Can you reuse your stub because we just threw our stubs away Well, I have a venture. but we card. also knew we weren't going to be back within two hours okay i think
1: I think you can reuse it within two hours once, maybe two I don't know. I just have a venture card, okay, which is like venture is a company that does. Like, Metra and the L and all that. Um, But you just, like, it works the same way. It's just non-disposable. You can just reload it with with credits. Yeah. Um, But that, I know, gets me a reduced fare if I transfer, Mm -hmm. which I commonly do because if I go up to, like, Wrigleyville or something like that, it's at least one transfer. It takes about an hour. But I justify that hour by having it only... Doing other stuff. Doing other stuff, and it's only $3.
0: yeah. And you're probably saving as much gas money as you would be taking the train.
1: Not only that, but my carbon footprint is extraordinarily small. Uh, Which brings (laughs) us
0: to our topic of the day. Okay. (laughs) That was a great segue. I have to give it to you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Carbon footprints. Well, okay. So I want to... Circle back to what we were talking about over text. Yeah. Because I actually thought that was kind of interesting how our per capita carbon footprint you said was bigger than China's? Correct. Okay. Do you know why? Because it's a genuine question. I don't know why. Because the majority of us, and, like, I'm about
1: to use a contentious phrase by saying developed and developing when referring to countries. Um, But Why, Why is that contentious? I don't know, I read a book, man. <laughs> and they said that was bad. They said it was bad, yeah. <laughs> All right, well. Uh, <laughs> but uh for the sake of um, ease of conversation, sure. We are in a very developed country, mm-hmm. very developed society. We have sort of transcended the era of um like classical industrialization where most most of the manufacturing occurs within our borders. Sure. And we have since uh, outsource that to countries that are quote unquote developing um, we definitely have much less manufacturing yeah than we did before You're right um, but because of that, our civilization here in the United States has um, elevated to levels where like it's extraordinarily common for us to own cars mm-hmm. um, and <clears throat> quite often we use those cars to commute, and so like I know my carbon footprint personally, by driving my, my vehicle that I am the only occupant in 60 miles round trip to get to work every single weekday is going to be a lot higher than someone in China or India, say, like riding their bike to a textile factory or something like that. Um, where like they, their economy just doesn't support everyone owning cars or everyone like getting a cup of coffee every day. You sure. Know? Um, and so I think that in and of itself like this, the way that we live our lives here is just like our personal carbon footprints are so much larger because we do so many things for ourselves and with ourselves when we commute or when we you know go places like I, I drove here, it was 25 miles, mm-hmm. and I was the only person in my vehicle. And statistically speaking, 1% of the fuel that your car uses goes to actually transporting your body. The rest is transporting the car itself because your weight is so tiny in comparison to the weight of your car. Yeah,
0: okay, that makes sense. Um, okay, does the... Per cap is the per capita carbon footprint a f- good enough indicator of total like country pollution? Because I, I know okay, this is a little sidebar thing, but I know I was talking to one of my friends about it because she was super upset about this, that we export like something like 80% of our recycling
1: that sounds about right. to
0: China, but they are not. Like, whatever company or government entity we have a contract with, like, they're not equipped to recycle that, like, their own stuff and ours, or however many countries that they're, um, they have that deal with. And I don't know, I feel like, we're, like, were we sold a lie that recycling actually works, or they're just like, we just don't have enough plants to sustain how much recycling we actually need or we actually use. And that's a completely different question than the first one I asked you. (laughs) Um, So different in fact that I forgot the first one. (laughs) Yeah. Well it was the is the population, is the per capita Uh, carbon footprint indicative of like total pollution? Because I feel like the China and India low per capita carbon footprint is also just because they have billions of people right and And so it's dispersed over a lot of individuals
1: that's what i was about to say like they they have such massive populations that um simply by dividing the total amount of pollution that those countries produce by the number of people who live there Mm -hmm. you get an extraordinarily low per capita um pollution rate yeah um that being said like that doesn't make the fact that our per capita pollution is so much higher any better because I think the ultimate goal should be to reduce that per capita number uh, as much as possible. I don't know. Cause at the end of the day, we're all humans living on the same planet. Like mm-hmm. our bodies take up roughly the same amount of space. Why shouldn't our carbon footprints be roughly
0: the same? Um, I was thinking about that and my I guess my tentative answer would be because we our country can afford it like we have far less people than eastern countries than some eastern countries like China and India I don't mean to keep harping on them but it seems like they're the the ecological boogeymen right now um but uh like we like we don't have too many areas if any that have like like we don't have the la smog anymore sure and you know we can drive 15 minutes out of the city and be out in nature like it's not we're not going through miles and miles and miles of city um, or really densely populated areas and so i feel like and this is pure speculation because i have no evidence to back this up other than what i've seen i feel like We in the United States do a pretty good job of taking care of our land. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, within our own contained ecosystem, we can afford to have a higher carbon footprint because we're better at mitigating that, at least for ourselves, if that makes any sense.
1: No, I definitely see that argument um, because, I mean, I agree. I I walk out of my apartment every day. I'm eight miles from the center of one of the biggest cities in the country. Mm -hmm. And... I breathe very clean air. Right. Um, Especially in urban areas, I've found uh, people are a lot more um, environmentally conscious. Yep. Like when I was in San Francisco last year, um, they have this extraordinary composting program where if you have food scraps, that's where they go. Like they go in a completely separate trash bin because they use that for like mulch and fertilizer and stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember the other point you made
0: Uh, that we can afford to have higher carbon emissions because we take care of the land better or we have more resources to take care of the land better sure I think um,
1: I think just because we can afford to have higher carbon footprints doesn't mean that we should um I think we can also afford to have lesser carbon footprints by the same logic. We, we can afford to pay a little bit more for our energy consumption if that means more of that energy is coming from wind or solar or developing technologies like that that rely on renewable resources to produce energy, not necessarily just producing it in the
0: cheapest way possible, which at present is coal and oil. Okay, I'll, I'll put coal aside, but oil has gotten considerably cleaner since you know we first figured out how to put it in a combustion engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the main place of uh, contention I have with, all, with climate change as a whole is um, we've been able to, within the last century like over the course of the 20th century and into the 21st century, we've been able to just have this kind of consistent innovation to become cleaner with the things we have while also looking for cleaner resources or cleaner ways of using our resources in the future. Um, And so it's when people come in and say, oh, we're going to, like, lose crop yields if the earth rises one degree in temperature it's like well we are one fraction of the entire world like this is a global issue Mm -hmm. um and so sometimes it might feel like at least to me and maybe some other specifically americans that we're the only ones who are being harped on to change how we live in order to meet this global threat and that might not be true but that might be how at least how i view it sometimes so do
1: you think that's why the current administration pulled out of the paris climate accords because
0: no i think that was a waste of money i think even if we dumped a hundred whatever trillion dollars or whatever whatever budget they were looking for the the amount of money and the cost of the economy that we would have inputted was not worth the output that we that the forecasts for the Paris Accords were predicting. And so I think he, I think on a larger scale it's like we could do this better ourselves. Why are we dumping a bunch of money into this joint government program when we can just subsidize other innovations here? And, you know, other countries would buy that if we're successful in that endeavor.
1: But then we never did that. We we pulled out and then the current the administration just pretended that the whole climate change debate was a non-issue and moved on instead of saying okay let's let's focus on america first and subsidizing like our own innovations and stuff like that instead we rolled back the proposed carbon tax from the previous administration
0: well how why does the federal government have to be involved in the first place
1: i think uh, to a certain extent, I mean, it, unfortunately, in, at the end of the day, this becomes a financial issue. Mm-hmm. Like you said, uh, the amount of money that we were going to put into the deal that we agreed to with the Paris Climate Accords would have been uh, outrageous compared to the the outcome of it. And I think to a certain extent, innovation in the renewable energy sector comes from investment, but that investment doesn't come unless investors see a a possible ROI to or return on investment to the money that they're putting into it. Um, and I think that that won't happen unless they see that this technology is going to be cheaper than what we've been doing, which is burning coal and oil. Um, and, uh, Man, I'm just forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I was listening. Um, And so I think, uh, I mean, as this technology becomes cheaper, people want to invest in it. But until it does, I think the incentive should be more than just a financial gain. I think the incentive should be, we are going to run out of oil. We are going to run out of coal. Also, these alternatives allow us to produce energy with zero carbon emissions as opposed to an amount of carbon emissions greater than zero.
0: Mm, Which other forms are you specifically talking about? Solar and wind. Okay. Doesn't wind kill like a million birds a year due to the turbines?
1: But birds are just devices that the government uses to spy on us. That's
0: true. Birds aren't real, so that's that's (laughs) a (laughs) (laughs) non-sequitur.
1: Do you follow that Reddit page? I do. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I brought that up to someone I was hanging out with a couple days ago. I
0: think it's freaking hilarious. Yeah, I had a coworker. Um, she was like, yeah, I was reading this book, and it was all about like these cool birds, and it made me want to go bird watching. I'm like, well, birds aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, She spoke to me like, what? Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, they're not real. <laughs> and um, I left.
1: Good meme, good yeah, meme. excellent. <laughs> um, um, yeah, no, wind turbines
0: have, have been shown to kill birds. Yeah. Um, and I I don't think wind and solar is necessarily not the way we're going to go, but I think in its current iteration, it's not efficient enough to fully supplant what we've been using. Correct. And I don't, well, that's the thing. I don't think we need to rush the progress so to speak if it's not there yet i think we're doing like we're doing okay riding this wave of slow technological advancement and then once we get to okay we have this solar powered car that gets at 250 miles where you're going and you just leave it out in the sun when it recharges and it has a battery that stores energy for when it's cloudy or you're driving at night um or it like has a recharge process as you drive or something like that um and it's comparable to other cars that people are driving now then that's fine but i don't think we need to like force feed everybody new technology or existing technology that isn't ready to like fully undergird our civilization as a power supply. Um, and so that's one of the things that I've had issues with, at least on the political side of things, it's like every 10 years we get a new margin of error for like, if we don't do this in the next 10 years, like we're all gonna die. It's like, if we don't do this in the next 15 years, like we're not gonna have any trees. Like, or, And I'm being incredibly general and non-specific, but sure. Um, And then those 10 or 15 years pass and like we're still here and the air is cleaner or, you know, the grass is greener or whatever the case may be. And people kind of look at that and say, well, like what's this whole thing about anyway if we're just going to get a new crisis every decade? And then like, did we beat it? Like did we do enough? Because the whole time up until this point we were being told that we weren't doing enough but we're still here. So it's like if we could... Get on a consistent track as a people, and look. I don't think anybody wants the Earth to die. Like we live here, we can, you know, we 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 can all agree on it, right? Um, It's just how we get there, and how forcefully, or natural innovation, or you know, a combination of the private and public sector working on you know new technologies or whatever the case may be. Um, So. Anyway,
1: well, I think on the political side, I think that's what uh-huh. makes this issue so complicated because it's so hard for us to perceive it being climate change because like I'm looking out the window right now and it's a beautiful day, mm-hmm. um, like 73 and sunny, pretty much precisely where the weather should be for this time of the year. Yeah. And like, it doesn't seem like anything is really happening where we are, um, and I think it's important that these well, not important, but like I think it's uh, more of an overcorrection than anything else when the u n comes out with these new reports saying, mm-hmm. like we have 12 years or whatever, like the one that they recently published said, uh, where we have 12 years to change what we've been doing, and I think these benchmarks are continually changing to meet uh the reassessment of where we are um, in the fight against climate change to where we should be, um, and I think overcorrections are important because um, if we just say, eh, we continue doing what we've been doing, then, like, obviously nothing will change because it's so easy to just say, yeah, yeah it's a non-issue. Like,
0: let's just forget it exists and go on about our our business. So... Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but do you think the constant re-updates and like constant top-down pressure is the driver of innovation, or do you think without any of that, we we would just be like, yeah, coal's fine, and we'll continue to do that like until we run out? I think uh, I think it's definitely part of
1: what drives innovation. Just keeping it on the forefront of people's thought processes. It's not a fun thing to think about by any means, but I know like usually on a daily basis, I think, you know, like what's the impact of me using a reusable water bottle versus me going out and getting a plastic water bottle that I'm going to go recycle. Like, yeah, it's, it's more about like that constant thinking about reduce, reuse, recycle, and like making small changes every day to feel like, I am doing something productive Mm -hmm. in, you know, not throwing another piece of plastic in in a bin.
0: Yeah. Uh, Plastic water bottle usage is actually something I've been uh, more conscientious of. And I like using a reusable water bottle just because, like, it's mine. I don't have to worry about, like, getting a whole new container for my 16.9 ounces of water. Um, But, yeah, I... uh, It's just the, like, to what extent? Like, to what extent do we need to change how we live? And at what point is it going to... Are we really going to start seeing the effect? Not, like, shorter winters or longer winters or colder summers or hotter summers or stuff like that, because that's there. Like, the climate's been changing forever. Correct. Um, so, I think
1: we're already seeing the effects of it. Um, last summer when I was traveling through Oregon... Um, we ran into a few forest fires that even in, uh, Utah, um, that like forced us to like drive through those areas instead of bike through them. Um, because the smog was so bad, there was literally fire right next to the road. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when we went through Oregon, most of the areas that we were going through in Southern Oregon were just like filled with smog. There were forest fires less than 50 miles from us. And we, we were talking to the locals. They said, yeah, this isn't just like a summer thing anymore. This is a, like, we don't have a fire season anymore. It's just an all year kind of thing that we have to deal with now. Um, just cause that, they're getting less, like less rain or. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, I mean, it, it's just, they have drier winters now. Um, in general, yeah, they're, just there is just less rain in that region Mm -hmm. um down in the southeast hurricanes are becoming stronger yeah more frequent um and up here um we're dealing with a much more unpredictable jet stream polar jet stream which is why that polar vortex that we experienced back in 2014 back in january of 2014 wasn't just a one-off event it happened again last winter Mm -hmm. and Um, It will probably happen again in the next few years, because instead of being this very consistent, like, it usually looks like a very low amplitude sine wave as it travels around the the North Pole, now it's, like, dipping drastically down into um, the lower northern hemisphere, so down to, like, 40 degrees north or something like that on the latitude okay um which is why we're seeing like negative 50 degree wind chills Mm -hmm. for a few days at a time because it's just so drastically altered
0: um so is that do you think um like how much of that do you think is sort of the earth doing its thing versus man-made weather change because i don't i don't know if we would ever get to a point where we're like okay from like january 2nd to march 13th like it's going to snow and then from march 14th to april 15th it's going to rain and then from april on it's going to be nice and warm and then it's going to get cold and like we can accurately predict or contain our seasons in a year um and maybe no one wants to do that but it feels like we're trying to just specify everything down to like oh well it was half a degree colder last year and this date or you know three degrees warmer last year at this time so something's wrong or is it like or is it just you know things are a little bit different because we are a rock hurling around a star and there are a lot of factors that might be out of our control.
1: Yeah. I mean the climate is certainly much bigger than, than we are as humans. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you average out the global temperature, I guess um, that's what they talk about when they're talking about like, Oh, in the next forty or 50 years we're going to see a rise in global temperatures by two or three degrees Celsius or something like that it's it's a it's a global average instead of just saying like on this date last year it was one degree colder mm-hmm. um, as we see those like average global temperatures rising that's due to more of um, more of the sunlight that hits our planet being trapped by the greenhouse gases that we're pumping into the atmosphere okay because less of that light can escape. And with that light comes energy and heat and all that jazz. Um, and I think that's just like, I, unfortunately that's one of the best indicators that we have that something is changing because not everyone is seeing like forest fires or Mm -hmm. uh massive hurricanes every year. I mean, the best indicator that we have is like, Oh, it was 80 degrees today and it's going to be 40 degrees in two days yeah Yeah. um and like at the end of the day like that's not a massive inconvenience that's not gonna like strike most people right it just feels like like a product of where we live
0: sometimes yeah
1: because like chicago has stupid seasons (laughs) where like in one day in one 24-hour period you can experience literally all four of them uh yeah, it's kind of cool, but I never know when to what to dress. Right, like. <laughs> right. it's like 40 degrees in the morning and then you walk out of the office at 6 and it's 80.
0: Yeah, you're like, okay, this parka was not a good idea. <laughs> yeah,
1: or like you don't pack an umbrella in the morning, but uh, it turns out you don't need it because it's going to snow. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: sorry, if you were going to continue.
1: No, I mean, I was just going to say like, that's why this is such a complicated issue because it's so hard to pin down like, well, is this really caused by humans or is it, I think, I think at the end of the day, like no one wants to breathe the stuff that comes out of our car's exhaust pipes. Sure. And I think at the very least we should mitigate pumping that kind of carbon into the air we breathe and and we've been doing a good job at doing that um and i think government regulation has attributed to those types of innovations because as you impose things like a carbon tax people are, or corporations are paying more for the carbon they're pumping into the atmosphere and they are economically stimulated to reduce their carbon footprint
0: yeah i well I'm in favor of less taxes on the board, but um, that that might be true um, I have a, a little more optimistic view of of business and and um, just in the sense that the the market will determine what's popular and what people want and it I mean Tesla is a pretty good example of how people are thinking in at least in the middle class to upper middle class um range of individuals like they're electric cars they're incredibly popular they look good and um they're from drew's statistics they seem pretty sound and efficient um and like throw all the rage, like Elon Musk is one of the most popular people in the world because of you know Tesla and SpaceX, and he, as a businessman like people pedophiles sure yeah. <laughs>
1: wait what uh, he called the dude who like rescued all those kids in I think Taiwan from or like all the Taiwanese kids from like a cave a pedophile
0: I don't know it was a big I vaguely remember that, and then I'm like, I don't care enough about this story I just know he got a, a lot of flack for it or something, yeah um. But anyway, he's like he's this business tycoon who's constantly innovating new technology and trying to trying to do new things. And um, I don't know if and he's doing that on his own. Like he right. wasn't he wasn't part of Ford and saw this carbon tax coming down the pipe and was like, "Oh, we have to like radically change how we make these vehicles work." Because if they don't have the technology available to do that, then you're just punishing a company to for something that they're literally not able to do. Um, and I think people are becoming more, more and more environmentally conscious for sure. Um, especially in the cities, you know, like every other cab is a Prius now and there's bike lanes and the, like run a bike or whatever the, the app that you can just like borrow a bike from the city paths. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, public I mean, transportation is becoming bigger. And, yeah.
1: yeah, to your point, I mean, it's, every other cab is a Prius because these cabbies are economically incentivized to buy the Prius because they get 40 or 50 miles to the gallon, they pay less in gas, and they
0: right. take home more of that fare. For sure. Um, so, yeah, so I think as the technology becomes more and more available and better, people will buy into it. Yep. And, um, and So down to like a microeconomic scale.
1: The invisible hand is going to inevitably, well, the invisible hand and combined with people being more environmentally conscious, you're saying that gradually we're going to get to a place
0: where right people and want to reduce their carbon footprints. And for they sure, do already, yeah. And I, um, and so that's uh, when things like the Green New Deal come out, and it's this like incredibly heavy-handed top-down government program that's like okay we need to spend a bajillion dollars to do something otherwise in 12 years like we're all gonna die and then the senators that co-sponsor that bill don't even vote on it because they know it's ridiculous and then the person who wrote the bill comes out and says oh that 12-year mark like I was just saying like you didn't actually think I was serious about that and so it's like when like you know if you buy a Prius or you ride your bike to work or you are out in the countryside and you're farming or you just like have a plot of land that you take care of or whatever the case may be and you don't see it's like you take care of you your and you and your own or yours and your own me and my own i don't know (laughs) but um and then it's like we get this sweeping legislation on the table that says no you're not doing enough like you have to you have to completely radically change the way the economy works because we said so it's like well hold on a minute like we're like the march of progress has been going and so it's anyway i I think people get turned off by the really heavy-handed stuff when they feel like they're doing a pretty good job on their own i
1: agree with that um because i know i feel like crap when i see those statistics and i'm like well like I got the reusable water bottle. Right. Uh, my car turns off at stoplights. <laughs> uh, uh, what, what can I do? I ride the L. <laughs> yeah. Um, I walked yeah. to the store. <laughs> yeah, no, I did that yesterday. I was like, all right, cool. I'm doing my part. And then I hear the thing. That's I like, got paper bags. Oh, all, <laughs> yeah. I, I brought reusable uh, yeah, bags. Yeah, I brought my own tote. I go to for God's sakes. Oh, I hate myself. I literally did. <laughs> um yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, like all this doom and gloom stuff, like that's not what gets people to to want to change. It's mm-hmm. more of the like, hey, like because so I'm reading um, how to win friends and influence people right now, right? And um,
0: how to win slaves and in influence elections.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, it, it was just it was part of our our company's or my office's reading club or book club. Mm-hmm. Last year, when I wasn't a part of that's a really old book. It is, yeah. It was written in like the, the 30s. 30s yeah. yeah, I mean, it, there have been new iterations. True, um, but you know, I'm slowly making my way through it. It's it's a book that I want to make sure I'm digesting properly because I think it's important, and a lot of people have gotten a lot out of it. Um, but one of the chapters I just read was about how criticism gets you nowhere. Positive reinforcement is what really motivates people to want to change and better themselves and increase the quality of their work and Mm -hmm. so if we're constantly criticizing people saying like you're not doing enough like this isn't just because you bring a tote bag to whole foods doesn't mean you're you're really making an impact it's like you need to get rid of your car entirely and bike the 20 miles to work yeah um like that that's not going to motivate me to change what's going to motivate me to change is like a pat on the back saying like hey cool like yeah good job yeah Thanks for your, being
0: environmentally conscious. Whoops!
1: Right, because that's going to make me feel good, and and make everybody who is making conscious changes feel good mm-hmm. by saying like, "Oh, cool! Like I I am on the right path. Like let's keep doing what we're doing, and and do it as a community, and everyone making these small changes is going to make a huge impact. And yeah, and we are seeing it because, like you said, like there's less smog in cities. Mm-hmm. I I walk as I said before. I walk out of my apartment eight miles from a city center, and breathe extraordinarily clean air
0: yeah even walking down like in the loop like when there's you know 80 cars on the road at a time like you you don't feel congested and there's nothing choking you you. yeah Yeah. um
1: that being said like we live in a very geographically good area for clean air because it is (laughs) we do live in the windy city although it's not named for the uh wind speeds corruption yeah, <laughs> we have fun here. <laughs> we have fun. Uh, uh, like the stuff that we put into the air gets blown out over the lake mm-hmm. very quickly. Yeah. And so we're very fortunate. Whereas people who live in like valleys, like Quito, Ecuador, like it's a lot harder for them to see the effects of, of reducing their, uh, their carbon footprint because it's so much easier for that smog to just kind of hang around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I think overall we're on the right track and I think, um, the doom and gloom prophecies aren't really helping. Um, no, I think the only good that they're doing is just kind of keeping it on the forefront of people's minds. And I think that's why, and I, I think I know that's why, uh, AOC produced that green new deal. It was a 14 page document. I don't think it was ever meant to like go into being an effective piece of legislation. I think, more so it just like riled up the argument and and got climate change or the issue of climate change to just be on the news much more often yeah. be on people's minds much more often than it is yeah and it wasn't it wasn't a document that uh that criticized people it was a document that said these are the positive steps that we could take to effectively reduce our country's carbon footprint to zero. It's not realistic by any means. Like no one's gonna yeah, stop like flying of, entirely. Yeah, entirely, jet travel, and yeah, like
0: that's not cow farts or something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. That being said, like methane from cows is a huge problem. Um, Just eat more beef, man. <laughs> take them out.
0: <laughs>
1: eat them all, and then <laughs> all. and then that's. <laughs> People will continue birthing cows If they know they can make money off of us Eating them Cow's good though I enjoy cow steak good. Cow is so good cow's so. Good. I had a hamburger yesterday It was delicious mm-hmm. Bad for the environment But so good
0: I took that cow out He's not <laughs> farting anymore Or she's not farting anymore <laughs> so yeah, I, I did me. my part And I got rewarded for it I got positive <laughs> reinforcement I got a great burger <laughs> For taking that cow out <laughs>
1: Oh shit. Uh No, you're so right though. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, I mean like a lot of that stuff in that document was just like no one's going to stop driving entirely. That's just not no. realistic. It's it was way overkill in its its proposals and then and I it, that's why I think it was never meant to be a serious piece of legislation. No. I think it was just a, meant to rile people up and
0: yeah, I'll bring the
1: conversation to the floor.
0: Oh, uh, so one of the things that I didn't really notice before, but until it was brought up, I was—I think I was watching a Joe Rogan podcast, and he—he he just kind of made the comment that it was like technology as a whole has like. Our stuff looks radically different than it did, like, 50, 60 years ago, except for cars. Like, cars still feel like cars. Like, if you get in a 1965 Oldsmobile and a 2017, like, Ford Fusion, they're going to feel different. Like, one might be a lot smoother than the other, but, like, you can still tell it's a car. Right. Whereas, You're licensed to drive both of those. Right. Like as opposed to like a rotary phone from the thirties versus a supercomputer in our pockets, like they're almost, they're two very different things. Like I just have a really tiny laptop that can call people basically. Um, and so I know you're really into car technology more than I am anyway. Um, and, he was like when he he said when he rode in a Tesla that was the only thing he was that was the first time he rode in a car where it didn't feel like a car. He's like this felt like something different, and so I'm wondering what the um, holdup I guess is or the maybe innovative barriers that car manufacturers are um, running into that have not. Moved car technology as far as other technological spheres, um, and that I know people are concerned about with at least carbon emissions. I think uh,
1: I think that goes back to our country's love of driving. Our our country is very well suited for for the automobile because we do have long stretches of of land between our city's population centers, and we have romanticized driving and I, I fall into that bucket. I freaking love driving. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have zero problem driving out here because it's like, I, it's beautiful, especially when there's no traffic. Right. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think we should do this in the morning more <laughs> <Okay>. often. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, there were like six people pulled over on the way here. It was crazy. I think everyone was just gunning it. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. Just cause I mean, it's so easy to, when there's no one on the road, I think I was doing like 85, no problem. Nice. Slowed down when I started seeing cops. Right. But, like, um, but uh, I think it's so much harder to tell Americans, like, hey, we're going to develop this car that, um, that you don't have to drive. I think a lot of people are like, eh, I kind of like it, though. And like, it's, um, th- I think that's why we're seeing like European car manufacturers advertising things like a new Jetta with like a six-speed manual transmission because it's like, we know you love driving. Right. This is gonna be awesome. Also, it's—I mean—it's relatively fuel efficient, and mm-hmm. um, I mean the overall direction that um, that I think technology is moving in is well, I know it is. It's more autonomy. That's why Tesla has their whole like like you get on the highway, you push a button, and it <laughs> becomes fully autonomous. Um, it requires a little bit of driver input, but. I think ultimately the world in which we're moving uh, or the, the world of automobile travel is going to look like in the, I can't use words. That's okay. Um, (laughs) I never learned English. Uh, In the next 20 to 30 years, we're going to see less and less like personal automobiles Mm -hmm. and see more like autonomous ride sharing where, Like, for instance, I use my car to get to work. I park it in a parking lot for eight, nine hours a day Mm -hmm. and then drive home. If my vehicle was autonomous and I didn't own it, A, I wouldn't pay nearly as much for it as I do now. And B, instead of it being parked in a parking lot, it could be driving around other people who have different schedules than I do and that parking lot could then be turned into like a park or something like that for me to go eat lunch in, yeah. in the middle of the day. And, um, and say my car is electric, it could go charge itself when it's not you know, driving people around. And then a different vehicle would come get me and bring me home mm-hmm. at night. Um, and I, that's like this sort of grand utopian vision for um, autonomous vehicles, which I think is so cool yeah Um, especially because i can get in it and like read a book yeah or like take a nap Mm -hmm. do something productive that isn't just driving yeah because it's mind numbing and not a productive use of time it's fun when you're not stuck in traffic but like when you when you have to commute every single day it's you can listen to stuff yeah no i listen to a ton of podcasts when i drive Mm -hmm. it's uh it's a wonderful use of time i think yeah um but uh I think it's going to be a, a pretty slow burn to get to that point, especially here where
0: there is that love of driving. Yeah, and there is a um, there is a love of driving, and I don't mind the autonomy vehicle so much as um, just if you give me the option to control it on my own because I don't want to be like completely in the palm of a computer that i don't know anything about that like they're responsible for my life sure um i definitely understand that and um but i i guess the more to the point it was like the actual car technology itself is largely the same like we're on four wheels we have an engine we have a steering wheel and a drive tram or whatever other things go into a car, um, and so I guess it's not so much the autonomy driving versus no autonomy driving. It was like the the actual physical makeup of a car is a lot prettier and a lot more efficient, but it is still buying by a car. Sure, um, and so I guess the I'm wondering where the next next generation or next step in personal transport is, you know, it's, is it going to be in the hover car, the, uh, the repulsor mag lev 25 million or <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that was me just kind of spitballing. I wrote a sci-fi book on the way home and it was cool. And they had like speeders. It was fun. But oh, like anyway, a graph zoomers. Sure. I don't know what that is, but yeah. Star Wars.
1: I think. I think that's what they use on Endor. Uh, oh, the speeder bikes? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The um, ones that crash into trees. Mm-hmm. Very safe. No seatbelts. Waiting mm-hmm. um, yeah. for three additional Ewoks. walks <laughs> <laughs> for three additional Ewoks. <laughs> the new sidecar. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, uh, okay, so NASA put out a video like a week ago or two weeks ago, and it was like, we're going to the moon again. Oh, yeah. Here's how. I didn't watch it. I just saw saw. saw the thumbnail. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Okay, well, all right, what else can we talk about? (laughs) Uh, I think that's cool, though. I think once we get out to um, past, like, Mars, we'll have more opportunities for... Uh, different kinds of fuel, and this is all speculative. But I was reading. Yeah, I was gonna a, say this conversation just <laughs> shifted. Yeah, radically. But I was. I read um a book in the Expanse series, and the basic premise was we, as humanity, have progressed to the point where we can maneuver our solar system fairly easily. Um, there's like there's still Earth. There's uh, a colony on the Mars. There's a fairly large population of people living on. Oh, wait, the moon and on Mars. And then there's people living in the asteroid belt on, like, space stations, basically. Um, and they mine the asteroids for fuel and minerals, and they grab comets for water. Um, or that might not be the right one. There's, like, chunks of ice that just float around um, that they grab and mine for water. And so um, I I don't know why we haven't been looking like since the 60s basically we really haven't been looking outside our atmosphere in terms of moving forward or at least not as prominently as we did when we went to the moon oh yeah there's there's a huge like empty hole
1: where that whole like thought process of innovation used to be yeah which is i think why elon musk is moving in the direction of spacex and like virgin is moving in the direction of uh, like innovating in space travel and
0: stuff Yeah like that. that Falcon rocket thing was awesome Like yeah. when it landed itself mm-hmm. That was sweet mm-hmm. um, And like I want more of that Like give me more of that And so I I I think I got really annoyed with Elon Musk Mostly because people were so high and mighty on him It's like oh The prophet Elon is here to save us And I'm like just can you Buzz off please yeah. Just let me eat my chips <laughs> uh, but now, like, actually seeing what he's doing and how he's going about it, I have a lot more respect for him than I did before. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a really rich
1: kid who never gave up on his childlike dreams.
0: We need more people like him. We do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's a really, like, fine balance between wanting to focus on, I want to say, like, domestic issues, but on the scale of the planet. So, like issues on our home planet versus wanting to leave the atmosphere and go colonize the moon or Mars or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause if we just focus all of our energy into like, let's get to Mars and form a colony. It's like, well like we have a very finite number of years that we can just fuck up our planet. Excuse my language. Mm-hmm. Um, before like, it's just completely uninhabitable. Um, sure. Sure and like exhausting all of our resources here before getting some, somewhere else. I think it's important to focus on renewables and, and getting our, our whole mindset on how to take care of the place that we live in um, right before we go colonize another place.
0: That's fair. I'll agree with that. Yeah, I guess it's like anything, just making sure you don't tip the scale in, in one direction too much.
1: Yeah. To kind of taking care of yourself before you take care of other people.
0: Yeah, that's really important. Uh, yeah, I, there was... I read a book. Nice. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm really proud of it. Um, it's called, it called 12 Rules for Life, and one of the rules was um, make sure your home is in perfect order before you criticize the world. Yeah, that's like a like Confucius-type ideology. It's in pretty much every, like, major religious thought. Like yeah. the uh, Christ said, take the speck out of your own eye before you... Or take the plank out of your own eye before you talk about the speck in someone else's. Like, yeah. make sure you're in order before you start criticizing everybody else. Yeah. Um. Like, before you start
1: complaining about all the snow on your neighbor's roof, make sure your doorstep is... Devoid of it. Right,
0: yeah. Pretty much. I think we need more of that. I think we need to just, like, if we have our space in order, Mm -hmm. everybody else can get their space in order, and together we can have a pretty cool time. Which,
1: and not to open up this can of worms, well, I'm going to, uh, which is why I think it's so important that we focus on reducing our own carbon footprint before we go and criticize places like China and India for what they're doing.
0: To what, to what, uh, like, when, when is it appropriate to um, to start looking at other people and say, well, why are we the only ones doing this? Or why does it feel like we're the only ones doing this? Like, does it have to be zero? Does it have to be yeah, two a carbons? I don't know how that's <laughs> measured. <laughs> six two tensile pollution. strength? Yeah, <laughs> six pollution. <laughs> uh, um, I
1: don't know. And that's a good question.
0: Um, I don't think there's a, because if we are supposedly trying to work together to mitigate this as a world, then we can't feel like we are one of very few who sure. are contributing or that, trying to contribute. And I
1: think that's, uh, that's when that whole thing moves into instead of criticizing each other, we just say, okay, we're all in this together, and. We're all making progress.
0: But what if they're not? I guess that's why. Then can we invade? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Let's blow up all their factories. Send their country back to the agricultural age. Yeah, man, I don't know. That would be terrible. That That would suck. I think we should not invade
0: people. Not unless we really want to. <laughs> well, it, uh, or they deserve it. <laughs> oh, <man.
1: laughs> well, I think, I think at that point, that's when... Looking uh, at you, Canada.
0: <laughs> We're <laughs> coming. <laughs> you and your moose. Meese. Yeah. I got into a... <laughs> I saw one of my friends, and she was in town yesterday, and I don't know how this came up, but she was like, yeah, Maine is the northernmost state She's like, Minnesota is the northernmost state. And she showed me a map of the United States. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's Canada. She's like, Canada is not a state. I'm like, well, they might as well be. They're useless. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> We're coming for your oil.
1: <laughs> Do they have oil reserves?
0: Or like large ones? I feel like they're pretty self-sustaining.
1: I think they have large oil fields in like Alberta, maybe. I don't know. Alberta's
0: a rough place, man. You've been there? Like northern Alberta. Oh, yeah. There's nothing up there. Except drunk lumberjacks who just...
1: (laughs) God, that sounds like a frickin' life. (laughs) Eat pancakes all the time. Guzzle, whiskey, syrup, whiskey syrup, maple syrup, and whiskey. All right, well, I think that's a a good place to wrap up.
0: All right. I feel like I had a... Oh, all right. So what are you reading? Ooh. This is a good
1: question. I am reading uh, Dale Carnegie's thing. Yep, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Okay, I'm kind of going through that, and it's the first book I've like tried annotating ever. Nice. And I think I'm gonna start doing that more with like uh, books like that, like either self help books or
0: uh, just like nonfiction.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anything that I feel like I
0: can learn a considerable amount of and implement in my own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I for nonfiction books, I have to read it out loud. Otherwise, I won't be able to digest the information. Like, I need I need the the visual aspect of reading it and the the verbal aspect of like imprinting it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's good. You like it so far?
1: Yeah, it's good. Uh, I I can't really speak to it a whole lot, seeing as I'm only on chapter two. But okay. Um.
0: It's chapter what, one, good. Chapter one was fantastic.
1: Nice. It's it's a lot of like. Uh, <clears throat> so far it's been a lot of don't criticize, give positive reinforcement to people and, um, make sure that you are empathetic and understanding others' points of view. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're talking to anyone. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that's just going to lead to much more productive conversations and, um, lead to achieving common goals. So I think, uh, the language used in 1930 has been changed, obviously, with the new editions. But
0: the the truths still stand the test yeah, of time. There are definitely some inherent human truths that will be around as long as we are. Yeah. What are you reading? Uh, I on the way to and from Minnesota, my dad and I listened to an audio book called *Galaxy's Edge*, which was basically just an action movie in uh, in book form. Um, I've been slowly making my way through uh, Ben Shapiro's um, right side of history, how reason and moral purpose gave, like, made the West great, and it's essentially a philosophical and theological view on Western civilization, focusing on uh, Aristotelian Greek teleology and Judeo-Christian religious theological thinking, um, and how you need a constant, like you need a North and South pole basically and a constant pole between the two in order to have a stable and prosperous civilization. And if you go too far in, like, if you go too theological, then you end up with a theocratic dictatorship. And if you go too, too far in the reason direction, then you get atheistic, like genetic, non-empathetic. Yeah. Like these people have... Brown eyes, therefore, they are inferior um and so you need sort of these two things to undergird your civilization otherwise um you can go too far down the rabbit hole both ways, so it's very cool. I'm on I don't know halfway maybe um but it's been an interesting read, and it's really short too. it's only like two hundred and twenty pages, so oh, that sounds great. It's easy to each chapter's like twelve to fifteen pages, and so. You can read one, and there's an ample amount of information for you to digest and think over before you start the next one. So, sure, it's not too bad. You don't feel like you have to sit down for, like, an hour to really get through it. You probably could if you wanted to, but he kind of streams like streamlines a lot of the um, historical referencing points, and his own um, inputs are, like, paragraphs here and there. It's not like he'll go on a long... Three page rant about Confucius or something, sure, so damn nice, yeah I've been reading more nonfiction it's kind of cool. I'm a huge advocate for it. I do like stories though i th- I still think stories are important I like stories
1: if I can relate it to my own life and apply like lessons learned i I think um I was talking to someone about this last night um, I am not a huge fan of reading nonfiction if I can't pull anything from it or it feels like purely just an escape because I feel like I'm putting a lot more effort into escaping reality when I'm reading. Fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. Okay. Like, if I want to purely escape reality or something like that and go into a fictional story, I'll watch TV or I'll play a video game. But, I... I feel like I'm putting a lot more effort than I should be (laughs) into escaping reality if I'm reading something.
0: Yeah, I was uh, reading a, uh, or I was talking to my cousin who told me that um, TV and movies don't use enough of your brain's processing power to completely engage you in the medium. Um, And so that's, at least for me, I think that's why I've been getting bored with TV um, because it's just kind of like, I'm very mean, passive. Yeah. And you can have great stories up until the very end, like Game of Thrones. Um Red. that there's a lot of moving pieces and you have to be like wholly engaged in yeah. the subject matter. Um and then you can watch SpongeBob for three hours. Like it's very different. So yeah. I think that's why I like books because it, it keeps me it keeps my brain constantly moving because I have the the digesting of what's being told and then the, the visualization aspect in my head of the things that are happening in the story. That's a very good argument for reading fiction. Yeah. And I like I like analyzing s- storytelling and story um like story beats and character development and stuff like that just cuz the dream is to be a writer of my own someday, so I like to learn as much as I can. Definitely. Oh, well, maybe I should read more fiction. Yeah, do you like uh, like contemporary stuff or I don't know, historical fiction, or yeah, no, I love that stuff. I uh,
1: um, even historical nonfiction, but told like it's a fiction story. So like Eric Larson's *Devil in the White City* or something like that—something that's based on uh, things that actually happened, but told on a much more personal level. Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating because it like sucks you in with the drama. Yeah, but you're not reading things that Didn't aren't happen. rooted in fact. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Really okay. interesting way to learn history. What was the last fiction book you read, if you can remember? Red Rising. Oh, yeah. Well, that was crap. Oh, it was trash. Yeah. Uh, I made it like a
0: third of the way through and dumped it. Yeah. Don't do that again. I don't want to. Do you like the sort of like sci-fi fantasy medium? I don't think so. No? Yeah.
1: I think that was the the thing for me because like it's so far outside. You know, I shouldn't say I don't like sci-fi because like Kurt Vonnegut's um, The Sirens of Titan. Okay that's very Mm sci-fi-y with people on, like, other planets and, like, beaming in uh, holographically to, like, enter the storyline and all that. That stuff was very sci-fi, but I think it was just... I mean, it was Kerr Vonnegut. It was so much more well-written than... Yeah,
0: so, like, it was rooted in a personal story and everything else was kind of just, like, an interesting tidbit that I I could focus on for a little bit and then back to the character or... It was it was very much so fiction, but um, it
1: wasn't as simplistic as Red White Wy- or Red Rising was. Like there was there was competent character development, sure, right. And that's something that I didn't find with Red Rising. Yeah, I think it. I think at the end of the day, it's like how, how good of a writer mm-hmm. is the author?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's important
1: because I didn't I didn't see any like notable character development, or if I did see notable character development, it was like in a split second it wasn't like there wasn't enough exposition for me to dig my uh my nails into to like really like appreciate or feel the need to care about the characters
0: Mm -hmm. okay well if i see a a fiction book out that i think you'll like i'll pass it on definitely all right well
1: cool that uh that conversation touched on a lot yeah it did (laughs) I think it was a quality Memorial Day
0: chat. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it was a, an amicable discussion on climate change, which I feel like, I don't know. I, feel, I don't know why it gets so contentious. Because there's so much doom and gloom associated with it. Yeah, and it's become a political issue as opposed to like, right. hey, like, just kind of watch out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, it affects policy making sometimes. So yeah, it's true. It's understandable. Well, thank you uh, for all of you who tuned in. Mm-hmm.
0: I haven't checked the stats at all, so I think that's good. So it could be a million. Could be just Taco and Drew. Maybe not even them, honestly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah we'll see if they make it through this whole thing right (laughs) (laughs) this one was more for us
0: yeah all right well happy memorial day happy memorial day and uh talk to you next time